Well, it is good to be here. I love you guys. Yeah, I really do. And I have so much fun when I'm here. I, I'm a little annoying sometimes. A little hyper. It's okay. I really enjoy this church. I love that um, I love that I can be myself. I love that we feel like we're your family. Um, and I just want to say thank you so much before we get started in the Word today. Um, I don't think a lot of you probably don't know how much your church has done for us. And we very, very much appreciate you. And so um, without going into everything, uh, we thank you that we're here because you helped us get here. Um, we, we have made it on the field because you've helped us make it. And so we're just, we're very appreciative for you and your church. And I don't know why I'm crying, but <clears throat> didn't count, no tears fell. Um, also, it's kind of awkward to talk with, about him when he's in the room. Uh, but I want to say thank you to your pastor, Kyle. And then I want to tell you how blessed you are to have the leadership that you have in your church. And uh, what a blessing he is uh, to us, and Rochelle as well, putting up with my jokes all the time. And, uh, and also to Jeffrey and Ashley, and you guys are just have a wonderful staff. And you're very, very blessed as a church, and I hope that you'll continue to pray for them and follow them as they lead you. And uh, I know that they have your best interests in God's will and God's glory in mind. So thank you guys so much. If you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. serious time now, Matthew chapter 6. Um, we are going to be in this passage, and I really had something on my heart I shared with Kyle um, earlier this week that I wanted to share with you, and God has really challenged me with this passage, and I hope that he will do the same for you. Um, this is uh, an excerpt from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is an astounding, earth-shaking sermon. To have been there and to have listened to this sermon, I just couldn't imagine as this culture and, and hearing this man speak these words and how astounded they must have been at some of the things that he was saying. I'm sure they felt challenged. I'm sure they felt maybe a little, uh, some of them angered, maybe some of them bothered by this because it was such a countercultural presentation of God's wisdom. It was a challenge to the conventional wisdom of the day and a challenge to the culture and the societal practices of the day. And in this sermon, uh, for example, in Matthew um, 5, verses 1 through 12, we know the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are they which do hunger, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those that are persecuted. All of these things that they were listening to was not what they normally heard was not what they expected to hear. And so Jesus shows up and he begins to challenge their society and their culture and what they thought to be true. Maybe he began to tweak some of what they thought was wisdom. And, and parts of this sermon really seem to take the, the style of wisdom literature or of a proverb type of literature. And whereas the wisdom of the culture would propose certain ideas, Jesus declares true and divine wisdom. The reality is, is that we should see this, the mercy of God in this and the grace of God that he saw fit to interrupt into their skewed world and share truth and divine wisdom through the person of Jesus Christ with his hearers and even preserve them for us today. Uh, I, every time I read things like this that are a challenge to me, I can't help but be thankful to God for the challenge that he lays before us and for his grace and goodness that he would see fit to even cause us to know him more, to, to correct our wisdom 
so that it is more in line with what he knows to be true, because he is truth. There's a proverb that I read, uh, it's on Facebook, you might have seen it, uh, that I wanted to share with you by way of introduction. It's about a man, this old man who plants a tree. And the proverb, this kind of new proverb, I guess, is, is a man who plants a tree knowing that he will never be able to enjoy the shade of it. So he invests and he plants the tree for his son and for his grandson. And then there's these little cartoons and you see the next cartoon and there's a man there with his son and they're enjoying the shade that the, that the grandfather, the older man, had planted this tree. Planted a tree, being old, knowing that he had not many years left, but understanding that he was investing in the next generation. It's a wise proverb. It's a good proverb. I love it. It communicates the need to preserve and provide for the next generation. It communicates a selfless attitude, a noble attitude. It's a true conservative ideal, not in the sense of what you're thinking, but as far as conserving tradition and values for the next generation. It's not a bad thing. It's a good proverb. But I would like to tweak it a little bit as we go. I don't think it's necessarily the truly biblical model. It's very similar. It can be a good thing, but maybe it would be better understood through a biblical lens. So I want us to read this passage here in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. It says this. I'm sure you know it. Lay up not for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust corrupt, and where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your grace that you pour out upon us, that we can read your word and know who you are, what you have said, so that we might obey you, so that we might glorify you in all things. Guide our conversation today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Here, Jesus commands us to reflect upon the state of our hearts. He, he commands us to examine our affections. And he commands us, he urges us, to care for eternal things. The first thing I want to notice here is that Jesus points out what is a corporate problem. As he urges us to care for eternal things, he points out a corporate problem, a societal problem. It is a challenge to the society of that day and to today. Jesus begins by contrasting two ideas in a proverbial type of way, and he is making a short and pithy statement. Two contrasting statements, if you will. It's direct, it's easy to understand, it's easy to remember, and that's the point. He starts by pointing out a societal problem. The you and yourselves here is in the plural. We would say it, y'all, right? I don't know why they don't have that in the Bible. It's a good word, y'all. The verse here is, the word that the verse uses is treasure. It says, lay up not for yourselves treasures upon earth. Really, the, the original word, if you will, is, a, is the same word in a verb form and in a noun form. And what we could understand it is, treasure not up for yourself, treasure. I don't know if that's a verb or not, but I'm going to use it as a verb today. Treasure, not up for yourself, treasure. He starts with a negative statement. Hey, don't do this. Literally, treasure, not up for yourself, treasure. I was sharing with my friends, because I'm a nerd yesterday, that the Greek word here is the word thesaurus, which in English is thesaurus. It's where we get our word thesaurus. Not a treasure. It's not talking about a treasure like a pirate's booty or buried treasure. And yes, I laughed when I wrote that word. <laughs> Still immature. 
It is to heap something together by storing it. It's not like a buried treasure. It's that a person would heap something together and would store it. Our word thesaurus falls into this perfectly, um, this usage of storing or heaping up together all types of words. Every word you can think of, gathering it together in one place. And that's what the word means. There's another definition, which would be to do something that would bring about a future condition. Romans uses it this way. It says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day, uh, for the day of wrath when God's judgment will be revealed. So, so you're doing things that are causing a future condition to happen. So in the first sense, what we see here in verse 19 is that he uses it in the first way, to heap something together by storing it up. And here it is a negative imperative. Hey, don't do it. It's a command. So he uses it in the negative sense. Don't do this. And it is treasure not up for yourselves, treasure where? Upon the earth. So not only is it commanded, the action is, is also qualified. Right? Where should we not do this? It is not simply that you should not treasure up or store up, but it's qualified and explained as to where you should not treasure up. And some of you are like, man, this is really obvious. You're beating a dead horse. That's okay, I'm going to keep going. The obvious point is that you should not treasure up material things. James 5, 1 through 3, just listen closely, says this. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded. I also got a kick out of it. This is James, Jesus' little brother. It's like, yeah, what my big brother said, like James, you don't have to repeat it, but... But he repeats it. He says, he says, listen, your riches are rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded. He just says it in a lot meaner way. But James says the same thing. It is treasuring up temporal things where moth and rust corrupt. It's interesting that not only does he qualify where, he also explains what. He explains and categorizes the types of goods. Moth and rust. This is a time when garments were highly valued. Fashions didn't change much. When Christ sent out the 70, if you remember that, he said, take only one garment. It was important. It'll last you. It's fine. You don't need more than one. Right? Some of you do need more than one. Okay? <laughs> need to update the wardrobe. But Jesus says, that's not in my notes. I don't want to say that. Anyway, Jesus said, in this, in this time period, he's pointing out that garments were important. And people would store up garments. And they would store up cloth. And they would even pass them down to other generations. Robes lasted a long time. I remember my dad having the same bathrobe for my whole life, right? Robes lasted a long time. It's pretty simple design. So garments would oftentimes be passed down. Fashions didn't change. But Jesus demands that society, or his hearers, the people that were hearing this message, that they would not have the practice of investing in this cloth. He shows the futility of it by saying, go ahead and store it up. It's just going to get eaten by moths. The larva is just going to eat holes in it. It's not going to work. It's useless. He says, don't do that. Don't store up for yourselves these things where moth eats holes and ruins the garments. And even the word rust here, it's interesting. This is the only, way, only place in the whole New Testament it's translated rust. But the idea is it's literally the word eating. ...where it is eaten up. And it's probably still referring to this, 
to the cloth, the garments. And he's pointing out that insects are going to get in there. They're going to eat it up. In fact, when James says that your garments are moth-eaten, it's a combination of both words. Moth and rust here. It's moth-eaten. And what happens to it? He says, where they corrupt. Our version, other versions say destroy. Literally, it is destroying or causing to disappear all the qualities of something that make it what it is. We can think about this when we eat. You eat food. It's really a futile thing. It's an, it's an enjoyable thing, but if your life is food, that's pretty sad because you eat it and it's gone, right? James 4, 14 says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. James uses the same word vanishes as the word destroy here or corrupt. Yeah, go ahead, store up your garments, do that. But it's just going to be gone and it's going to be unrecognizable. And if you leave it long enough, there's going to be nothing there. Lay up not for yourselves treasure in heaven. James says our lives are like, even our lives are like the material goods that Jesus reflects on. That they are vanishing away, that they are disappearing. And then he says, and where thieves break through and steal. Really what we should see here is that Jesus says... Don't do that. It's just going to disappear. And even what doesn't disappear, probably referring to precious metals and gold and that sort of thing, thieves are just going to get it anyway. And he says that they break through. Literally, it is to dig through because they lived in mud huts. They lived in adobe-type structures. And so thieves could just dig a hole in your wall. Whatever your security is, whatever you have, it's not safe. You know, one of the best illustrations I could think of was, and, you know, I'm not, this is not just in Nicaragua, but if you've ever had a home invasion, you know, we've been robbed on more than one occasion in Nicaragua. And I can testify that when someone enters your home and steals from you, it profoundly affects you. And, and you know what? The least of your worries oftentimes is the material goods. Yeah, it stinks. But the feeling of insecurity, your privacy has been violated, your safe space, what you thought, your castle, your domain has been invaded, and now you feel unsafe, you feel insecure. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. It is insecure. Jesus moves from cloth and things that can be destroyed, from insects to other valuables, that they may last longer, but they're not safe. Nothing is safe. The point here is that everything is that nothing temporal, nothing material in Jesus' eyes should be stored up in the sense of heaping together and storing up. Now, he is not saying don't be wise materially. That's not what I want to point out here. Paul says that parents should save up and give to their children. He says it's the parents' job, not the children. You should be wise. You should spend and think about the future. He is not saying that materials, having materials is wrong in and of itself. In fact, Paul also command, does not command wealthy people, give away everything, but he does command, be generous. 1 Timothy 6, if you would look over there, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, and we'll turn back to this passage. 1 Timothy uh, 6, verses 17 through 19. says this. Paul, talking to Timothy, says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust 
in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. They that do good, uh, that they be rich in good works, be ready to distribute, willing to communicate or to share materially, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. He commands all believers, wealthy or not, in, in 1 Corinthians, he commands them, as God has prospered, to give. And finally, I want to show as well that in 1 Timothy 6, 17, God says that he's given us all things for our enjoyment. So the last thing I want to do is say that material is bad just because it's material. That's not the point. So what is he saying? What is the point? Well, Luke 12 talks about a man who was a rich man, and Jesus shares this parable, who had a good crop... And he had such a good crop that he said, you know what? I have such a good crop. I can't use it all. I'm going to build a bigger barn. Which is absolutely stupid. Why would you do such a thing? You couldn't use the harvest last year, right? You used every bit of it. Maybe you gave some away. And you're expecting that this harvest is going to last you until the next growing season and then past that. What's the point? It's not going to last. Jesus shares the parable showing the futility of that mentality. It's stupidity. And in Luke 12, in verses 20 and 21, he ends his parable by saying this. But God said to him, Thou fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Then who shall those things be which you have provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Verse 19, you want to know what happens if you don't listen to Jesus' wisdom? This right here. This right here. There's a quote by D.A. Carson. It says, this verse does not prohibit being provident or making sensible provision for the future, but, but being covetous like misers who hoard and materialists who always want more. It is folly to put oneself in the former category while acting and thinking like the latter. Proverbs 2, 23, 4-5 says, Labor not to be rich. Cease from your own wisdom. Will you set your eyes upon that which is not? Literally set your eyes is to glance, to be distracted. Some of you can't identify with that. I can, right? To be distracted. Why, why are you distracted with things that are not? For riches certainly make themselves wings and they fly away as an eagle towards heaven. And I love what James says in James 5, 3. He says this. Your gold and your silver is cankered. The rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last day. He is so honest and forthright with what will happen if you do this. If your view, if your life is organized around temporal and material things, this is the future. You've heaped treasure together for yourself. You're storing it up. So Jesus addresses a corporate problem and then he gives a corporate solution. This is not just a negative, there is a positive the Bible is like that. Similar to the idea in the epistles of Paul of put on and put off. You can't just stop doing that, right? 
was the Bob Newhart thing. Stop it! We can't just stop it. We have to do something else. He says, don't do this, but do this. There is a positive. What should we do? And he's supposed to leave you that way. This proverb starts that way and then it should end with, well, what do we do? Treasure up for yourselves treasure. This is the positive. What a grace of God that oftentimes he destroys our wicked and sinful concepts and values, but he never leaves us there. You may not think it's grace, but it is. He pastors us and he directs us to where we should go. So this verse presents the opposite of what was said in verse 19. He says, treasure up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasure. In verse 19, we should understand that Jesus was literally saying not to heap together or treasure or material things up. In this verse, we should understand more the second definition, which is to do something that will bring about a future condition. Romans, again, yet rather than the example of Romans, we have a positive formula that God has given us. How does one treasure things up in heaven? Practically, how do I do that? Unfortunately, many preachers limit this passage to one application. They limit it to simply financial giving. And they say, give your money because you're treasuring up in heaven. It doesn't mean less than that. That is a good application. But Christian, it means so much more than that. You can say, well, this church, maybe this already entered your mind. This church, this missionary just wants my money. And I say it many times, but if I wanted money, I wouldn't be doing this. And I've got bad news for you. Sometimes giving is the easiest way out. This verse does not mean less. I'm going to say it again. It doesn't mean less than material giving to the church, but it means means way more than that. The prosperity gospel says, give so that you can get. And you know that it says, so that you can get now. What a waste. Why would you want now? Jesus literally said, don't do that. Jesus says, give of yourself. Give it away so that you can have later. Treasure up for yourselves, treasure in heaven. What does it mean? What is treasure? How do you treasure it up and lay it up? Look at what Matthew 6, 4 says. That thine alms or your giving may be in secret, and your Father, which sees in secret himself, will reward you openly. What else? Look at verse 6. When you pray, enter your closet. When you have shut the door, pray to your Father which is in secret, and the Father which sees in secret will reward you openly. Not just giving, but a prayer for walk with God. What else? Look at verse 18. Don't appear unto men to fast, but unto your Father which is in secret, and your Father which is in secret will reward you openly. Jesus tells us what it means to treasure it up. What is it? It's being faithful. Matthew 25, in the parable of talents, the faithful servant, did he reward him because he had so much stuff? Oh, good job, you got 10 talents, now I have 20. No, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy or into the rest of the Lord. In this passage, the wicked servant took the material things as if they were his own. And he could do with them as he pleases. It reminds me of a baby, right? Their fat, sticky hands. Mine. 
Don't get me wrong, I love fat, sticky baby hands. So I'll keep having them. <laughs> but it's such, a, it's, a, it's such a simple, uneducated way to live. The faithful servants treated what they, material ha- they materially had as belonging to God and using it to further his kingdom. Again, the application there is not just giving, people. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, just listen to this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. This is Paul. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. What's our reward? Love. Want to see Christ. All of these things, treasuring up actions, we could summarize under one heading, being faithful. On earth, it is wasted. You say, but everything we do is on earth, right? Good question. I'm glad you asked. There is a way to treasure up and plan for eternal things. I want to read again in James. If you'd go there with me this time, in James verses 5, or chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. This is after James is pretty harsh towards people that would live materially and for material things. And in verses 7 and 8, he says this, and I'm telling you what, this was a time of worship when I read this. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and has long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. We need to have our heart set on eternal things. What did Paul say in Colossians? I want to show you all these passages so that you know this is not just one isolated proverb. This is the full weight of the gospel testimony. This is what scripture says. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of earth, for you are dead and your life uh, are, is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. This is a passion, a zeal, an absolute dedication to labor and live for heaven. This is a quote as well. This earthly life is brief and our enjoyment of it is ephemeral. Because of this, we should focus our attention on the needs of our soul and become rich towards God. Matthew 16, 26. What should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Earthly goods are insecure. There is no safety. Save. Be wise. But if your trust is in those things... You have no safety. You have no security. Jesus says, whereas our security, where is it? It is in heaven. Whereas nothing on this earth can provide you with security, Jesus says that treasure in heaven is untouchable. Remember what I said about the feeling of insecurity after being robbed. Jesus offers a way to have security no matter what happens. Not that it won't happen, but you'll have security when it happens. What did Stephen say as he perished for his faithfulness? 
As he was faithful and obedient to them, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What a stalwart, unmoving faith. What security. What you see? Every one of these is saying, store up, store up, store up for what? Because Jesus is coming. Those that love his appearing. And even if he doesn't come back before you die, you'll be like Stephen. I see him. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. <laughs> I said to Mike, I was like, he's like, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on the passage in Matthew 6, you know, lay up not for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he goes, where should we do it? <laughs> I was like, oh, oh oops. <laughs> Treasure up, store up, work to the end so that you will have treasure in heaven. And this, this is a good part. He gives a corporate problem. He gives the corporate solution. But then there's an individual reflection. In verse 21, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It changes here. The pronouns change. You can't necessarily see it in English, but he goes to talking to individuals. Singular. Whereas before he was talking, y'all, now he's talking you. Jesus switches to you. This is not an optional statement. Maybe I can change where my heart is. It's a statement of fact based on 19 and 20. He is not saying you can change your heart. Well, then what is he saying? He's saying if this is you, then this is your heart. A reformer said this, If honor is rated the highest good, then ambition must take complete charge of a man. If money, then forthwith greed takes over the kingdom. If pleasure, then men will certainly degenerate into sheer self-indulgence. Julius Campbell said to Gary Bertier, remember the Titans. He was talking to him, and he was, he was talking to him about his attitude. He said, no, I'm going to look out for myself and get mine. And Bertier says, see, man, that's the worst attitude I've ever heard. To which Campbell says, attitude reflect leadership. Captain. <laughs> I don't know why I did that little action there, but anyway. Your actions reflect your affections. Your actions reflect who is leading you. D.A. Carson says that conversely, those who set their minds on things above, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, determine to live under kingdom norms and discover at last that their deeds follow them. What is leading you? What's your ambition? Is it material possessions? Is it your ambition? Is it your pleasure in vanishing things? Revelations 14, 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. What's that? That's reward. I hope that I'm tying this all together as like it is in my brain. I hope it's understandable. Jesus says that if you treasure up for yourself treasure in heaven, if you have an internal perspective, then you will build up for yourself a treasure, something precious and worthwhile that can never be taken away from you. Jesus says to you, man, woman, old, young, where is your heart? Where are your affections? Remember the proverb that I shared? The man plants a tree so that future generations can enjoy its shade. The reality is, is that whatever we do for God's glory on earth, not just others will enjoy it, but we will enjoy it. Because that is an earthly mindset, and we have an eternal mindset. 
whatever we do and the actions that we take here, we will enjoy. The Westminster Catechism says this. It asks, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Here's the twist. If you live for eternity now, if you glorify God now, you will experience life at its fullest now. You will have peace and security. Those who enjoy material things, those who focus on that, they seem to enjoy it, but it will end. Those who focus on eternity now, if your chief end is to glorify God, you will fulfill your purpose. You will enjoy even now a small taste of eternal enjoyment that you are preparing yourself for. An eternity of glorifying God and enjoying your God. You say, why are we talking about this in missions? I can't think of a better way. For you to be more consumed with glorifying God among the nations than challenging you from Christ's word here. Where is your heart? Treasure up for yourself treasure. Live to glorify God. I don't have to preach on giving. Because if you care about eternal things, that will just be natural. I don't have to beat you over the head and get you to witness to your friends. That will just be natural. I don't have to go and tell you to pray because Jesus just said that. Pray fast. Advance the kingdom. Care about eternal things. And I would be remiss if I did not compel you that maybe you're here and you are not a believer. Consider your life. Consider whether or not you have trusted in Christ for salvation. Don't you see the utter pointlessness of existence apart from God? You see, there's something more. Ecclesiastes says, Ecclesiastes 3.11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. He's put eternity in our hearts. Please examine your life. Even if you're a professing believer, I don't care how long you've been here. Even if you're a professing believer, Jesus says where your heart is, there's your affections. Where are your affections? What does your action show? What does your life show? If you have never had affection for the things of God, if you have never experienced a desire to glorify God, please repent from your ways. Turn from your way of living. Romans 2, 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. It is coming, I promise you that. Jesus offers to save you. He promises abundant life, a life of purpose, a life of glorifying God, experiencing his salvation, and learning, learning to enjoy him until the day that you die and he returns. And you can be in his presence, enjoying him unencumbered by your sin. Please. You need Jesus Christ. Believe. Let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for your goodness. What profound, profound wisdom. I pray that your church would be encouraged. I pray that we would go out with eternity in mind. That as we listen to what you are doing among the nations, God, that our hearts would be tugged, that we would want to be a part of that because eternity is tugging at our hearts. God, as we go out and we see advertisements and as we see uh, things that 
look fun and things that we want to do and dreams that we have, God, that eternity would occupy our minds, that eternity would pull at our hearts, that we would seek to glorify you and enjoy you forever. God, if there's one here that does not know Jesus, help them to see the futility of life apart from you. Help them to see the coming wrath of God that they might repent and trust. They would believe in Jesus. God, you have told us that he makes us rich in you. I pray that they would be able to experience that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.